yeah. Thanks, guys. Hey, good morning. I love it when Dennis is back there and says, good morning, Jane. Because don't we all love to hear our own name? Thanks, Dennis. So <laughs> my name is Jane. I get to tell you a few things going on around here at Lakeland. And um, it's a good day because we've got good stuff going on. So first of all, while I'm talking, if you haven't already, go ahead and check in on the Lakeland app. Or you can be filling out the uh, half of your handout that's got places for you to put your information and drop that in the offering. Your handout just tears in half. So if you are new here and you fill that handout out um, completely and drop it in the offering, we'll actually make a donation to Lee Summit Social Services on your behalf. So uh, please, please, some info is wonderful. Okay, we are coming up to a new school year, which means there are some parents in this room who are so excited their kids are going to kindergarten. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the big yellow bus is going to come around the corner and take them away. But first, <laughs> first, we're going to graduate those kids out of the preschool program and begin to uh, put them upstairs in the campfire program. So if you are a parent of a kindergartner, we've put together kind of an info session so that you can learn what to expect, um, what your kid's going to be learning, ways it's taught, all that good stuff. Have all your questions answered as they really go through this milestone here at Lakeland. So that info meeting is going to be August 7th in the evening, 6.30 to uh, 7.45. Of course, there's ice cream and child care because these are kindergartners we're talking about. And uh, you just need to register online by... Uh, August 3rd and or talk to Twyla and her email address is in your program. So um, you guys might have noticed the calendar is about to change from July to August and that means Christmas in July for Prodeo is almost over. In fact, today's the last day. So if you have not pulled something off the tree in the lobby, uh, something that Prodeo can use as a donation as they get kids ready for school also and go into their fall season, um, please do that. It's, this is your last opportunity to bless Prodeo with something that uh, they can use to bless the at-risk kids in our town with. So there's that. And then small groups. Garrett talked a lot about small groups last week. And um, right now, what we're really looking for are some small group leaders. So if you think you'd like to lead a group, you can go on to the app or Lakeland Connect, fill out the small group sign-up form, the leader sign-up form. And let me just talk a little bit about who makes a good leader. A leader for a small group is somebody who's maybe been in a small group for a long time and you guys just love, love, love one another. Well, you could be a great leader of a new small group because you understand what it takes to have longevity in a group and how to gather people together. You would be great at that. Um, maybe you're somebody who's never participated in a small group before, but there's a topic on your mind that you really want to explore. You would be a great leader of a small group. Um, maybe you're somebody who's just been around the church a while and you say, you know what, I'd like to plug in in a different way you would be a great leader of a small group. Here's what it really takes. It takes somebody to set a topic. It takes somebody to say, we're going to meet at this time and this location. It takes somebody to say, hey, let's begin. And somebody to say, hey, let's end for the night. And somebody to say, you know what, we are meeting this week because we're a small group and we never cancel. 
Other than that, you don't have to be smarter than anybody else. You don't have to be more spiritual than anybody else. You just have to be willing. So go ahead and go on to Lakeland Connect or the app. Sign up to be a leader of a small group because only good things can come from that. Um, okay, so that's really all I have about announcements. I have, however, been um, privileged to be able to tell you guys where I have seen God lately. It's something we've been doing as we lead back into worship. And a lot of you know that my sister and I paddle the Missouri 340 every summer. And this is a kayak and canoe race that starts in Kansas City and goes to St. Louis. It's 340 miles, and it's a race. And my sister, well, before I get to that, I could tell you stories I've heard about how God has worked in that race, because he's all over that race. A friend of ours dumped her kayak. She managed to handle, hang on to her paddle. She lost her boat, her food, and her water. Other paddlers rescued her boat, got her reunited and back in it, gave her some of their food, gave her some of their water, and texted her ground crew on their phone to say, you're going to need to meet Gina at this place because she needs to be completely resupplied. Wow. Another guy I saw on Facebook who was thanking whoever it was as he was asleep on the concrete ramp, whoever it was who packed ice packs around him to cool his body. He didn't know who it was, so he just threw it out on Facebook and said, thanks. Yeah, that's cool. But where I saw God personally is my sister, Jody is a fierce competitor. She's the only reason I paddle this race, because she just tells me, Jane, you're going to do it. And I say, okay, and off we go. So she's got visions of a 55-hour finish. You get 88 hours to do it, but she says, we're doing it in 55 hours. Here's the spreadsheet. Here's the PowerPoint presentation. Here's the flow chart, plans A, B, and C. We're doing it. And I say, okay. Well, we get through day one, and we've blown through all those plans, and we're not going to have a 55-hour finish. And she says, you know what? Let's do 60 hours. We can do 60. I said, okay. So off we go for 60. And on day three, she says, I don't think we're going to make 60. Well, I knew we weren't going to make 60 on day two, but you can't be telling her that. So we decide we're going to just beat our slowest time, which is 64 and a half hours. And we leave the last checkpoint. We got 30 miles to go and four hours to do it in to beat our time. We're going to do it. We're on board. I can see the speed on the GPS. We're doing it. We're making it. Yeah. Okay. We got it. And then we come up on this team called the River Penguins, a husband and wife team. We're, we got 20 miles to go, and, man, they are dragging. They are grouchy. They are just the last 20 miles, you guys, is brutal. And so we always talk as we pass people, and we talked, and then we slowed down. And then we told some stories back and forth, and at one point, my sister turned the other direction so they wouldn't hear us and said, you know, our time doesn't really matter. What matters are these people. And you guys, for my sister to say that, that's only God working in her heart for three days. That's God. And I was so privileged to be part of that moment with her. So we did finish and we didn't beat our time. But you know what? We have new friends. And they were so grateful that we hung out with them for about five miles and helped them through.
Well, good morning, everyone. Hey, you know, something we don't do around here often enough, and we probably should, is just pass the peace to each other, you know? That's where you just go up to random strangers in the room, brothers and sisters in Christ, and say, hey, peace of the Lord be with you. And they say, yeah, peace be with you, or just say peace. And uh, But here's your little trick. The trick is, see, most people, introverts understand this stuff, extroverts, you guys listen up. Most people, when they meet each other, are looking in their eyes saying, do you like me? So let's just all agree that everybody in the room likes each other, so we don't have to do that. Instead, what you want to do is when they say their name, like, hey, my name's Bob, my name's Dan, my name's Dan, actually not Bob, uh, my name's Dan, say like, hey, Dan, nice to meet you, you know, and just focus, get that faraway look in your head that says, I'm going to memorize Dan for at least 29 seconds. So see if you can't then say their name, you know, when you're leaving the room or whatever. All right, so. I say, peace, glory with you, and you say, also with you, also with you. All right, peace, everyone. Amen, everyone. Have a rest in their seats, and we'll enter into a time of teaching. As a matter of fact, over the next uh, five or six weeks, uh, Garrett and I are going to be alternating back and forth, and we're really going to be talking about the passion of uh uh, passion for the Christian life and passion in general. I'm going to be going over uh, three different times out of Philippians. We're going to be studying Philippians and talking about the passion of Paul. And there's what we're going to start with today. We also have uh, Pastor Marvin Daniels coming in from the Hope Center here in a few weeks. And we've never met him. Uh, we've never had him out uh, except for like a, hey, wave your hand kind of a thing out in the audience deal. And uh, so we'll be hearing from him, talk about passion. He's a very passionate man. So we have some exciting stuff coming up. Uh, over the next few weeks as we talk about passion. I think it's the right time. We're heading into the fall. I don't know about your household, but with two teenagers in the house, we feel that the clock has begun to tick back to school. And uh, with that, you know, everything amps up and everybody starts filling in their calendars and all this sort of barefoot toe tapping, it's done. Okay, so it's time to get on with it and the church is going to do it too. I don't think there's any better place to start than with Paul and in his small little four-chapter book on Philippians. So let's go there now. Hey, um, what does $3 buy you these days? What does $3 buy you these days? I put a little thought into it, and $3 will buy you a complete package of Whoppers. Not even open, not even pilfered yet. Now, after second service, no guarantees. Speaking of that, $3 will buy you Half a bucket, oh, cheese puff. You know how long it took me to get this down to halfway last night? Not very long. It makes your jaw hurt. You know, have you ever noticed that? Like, you really got to, anyway. All right, $3 worth of car. $3 worth of a car will get you one of these babies, the little Christmas tree that hangs from your mirror. And boy, does it stink. That's $3 worth of car. $3 worth of your house, a light bulb. Not just any light bulb, mind you. It's a nightlight light bulb. Three bucks worth of house is a light bulb. I also did a little bit more research. $3 worth of a Royals game. Doesn't matter how they're doing. The seat price remains the same pretty much. $3 worth of a Royals game in the good seats, not the ones where they come by and ask you what you want, but a minute and two seconds so if you get to go to that game for three minutes worth, you're going to be like, hurry, throw the fastball. Don't step out of the matters box. Whatever it is, just get the game going. 
And then, let's see, here we go. I'm going to go here. $3 worth of Episode Four, Star Wars, 1977, the original, not with any of the extra CGI edits or anything like that, on the $20 DVD will get you to the Star Wars Cantina, right where Han introduces himself. And then the movie's done. That's it. That's it. You don't know how it ends or anything like that. $3. What does $3 worth of church get you? How about $3 worth of church? If you tithe 10%, I'm just going to set the bar high. If you tithe 10% and you showed up for 50 Sundays on the year, that's really aggressive. If you did that, $3 worth will get you about three minutes worth of church for the entire year. So, I think we're done. Let's go. Um, $3 doesn't buy you much anymore these days is what I'm trying to get across. And into this, and I got this idea from a renowned New Testament scholar named Donald Carson, who I like and sometimes disagree with. On He has a commentary on uh, Philippians, Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. And he begins his commentary with this. <clears throat> I'd like to buy $3 worth of gospel, please. Not too much, just enough to make me happy. But not so much that I get addicted. I don't want so much gospel that I hate covetousness and lust. I don't want to start loving those I don't like. I don't want to become a missionary or invade someone else's space. I want ecstasy, not repentance. I want transcendence, not transformation. I'd like to be cherished by some nice, forgiving, broad-minded people. But I, myself, I don't want to love those different races, especially if they smell. I want just enough gospel to make my family secure and my children well-behaved, but not so much that I find my ambitions redirected or my giving too greatly enlarged. I'd like just about $3 worth of gospel, please, says Carson. Months ago, I was up at the Tetchen Abbey uh, Monastery on retreat, and I was reading Paul's letters to the Philippians as well as uh, some of his other prison epistles, other prison letters. And like so many times that I've read these over the decades, I, I was struck by Paul's passion and his attitude. If you, need, if you need a change of perspective and to think aggressively about how you should be living, there's no better place than to go to the, the letter of Paul to the Philippians. That's what we're digging into here. Don Carson's sarcastic picture of $3 worth of gospel paints an, <coughs> an accurate picture of today's comfortable consumer Christianity. It hits too close to home sometimes for us. I like just $3 worth of gospel. So this morning, I want to raise a serious question. I'm not sure we'll get it fully answered, but I'm going to raise a serious question. Are we a $3 kind of church? Are you and am I? Are we a $3 kind of Christian? Are we those comfort-seeking ones who don't really want to be pushed too far? We just want $3 worth of Jesus. That's about it. Nothing too crazy. Well, to answer this, we go to Paul's own hands and the first chapter of Philippians. I think we have it up on the screen, but if you want to read it in your own translation on your phone or if you brought the Bible, uh, go, go and do so. Here we go. Philippians chapter 1, uh, verse 1. Paul and Timothy. Now, Timothy must be close by to Paul because Paul's in prison. We don't know if Timothy's in prison with him or just helping serving on the outside. Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I thank my God every time I remember you, Paul says, constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you because of your sharing, koinonia. I added that Greek word there. It's not in the text like that in the original Greek, of course. It is. I've added that word because we're going to come back to it. Because of your sharing in the gospel from the first day until now, verse 6, I'm confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. It's right for me to think this way about all of you because you hold me in your hearts. For all of you share in God's grace with me, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness. How I long for all of you with the compassion of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you determine what is best so that in the day of Christ you may be pure and blameless, having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. Verse 12. I want you to know, beloved, that what has happened to me has actually helped the, gospel, the spread of the gospel so that it's become known throughout the entire imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers and sisters, sisters, have been made confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, dare to speak the word with greater boldness and without fear. Some proclaim Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. These proclaim Christ out of love, knowing that I have been put here for the defense of the uh, pr proclaiming Christ out of love, uh, defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but intending to increase my suffering and my imprisonment. But what does it matter? Just this, that Christ is proclaimed in every way, whether out of false motives or true. And in that, I rejoice. Yes, I'll continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. It's my eager expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in any way, but that by my speaking with all boldness, Christ will be exalted now as always in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, living is Christ and dying is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. If I do not know, but, but I do not know which I prefer. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart, that is to, to be uh, martyred. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that's far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. Since I'm convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in faith, so that I may share abundantly in your boasting in Christ Jesus when, he comes, when I come to you again. Verse 27. Only when you live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to see you or I'm absent and hear about you, I will know that you are standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel. And in no way intimidated by your opponents. For them, this is evidence of their destruction, but of your salvation. This is God's doing. For he has graciously granted you the privilege, not only of believing in Christ, but of suffering for him as well. Since you are having the same struggle that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. That ends the chapter. Paul is in prison probably in the city of Ephesus, where they got in trouble. 
He started the church in Philippi some 10 years earlier from the writing of this letter around 50 A.D. It's now about 60 A.D. If you want to know the details, so here's your homework for the week. Acts chapter 16. Write down with that little golf pencil or whatever you want or make a note. Uh, Acts chapter 16. If you want the background story on what's going on here, go read Acts chapter 16 and you'll get the background on, on where this letter is coming from. And we don't have time to do the whole background here, but just a little bit of it. Paul is sitting in prison, and he needs their help. Because if you were in prison in the first century in the Roman Empire, or for that matter, any time back then, nobody brought you food. <laughs> you just sat in prison. If nobody liked you, you died. Which kind of helps out the Roman government, because the Roman Empire, because they're like, well, one less mouth to feed, or even take care of, or clean out the stall, or whatever. Like, next. They don't care. Just let you die. So if you have friends like Paul does and Timothy, I guess, then they brought you food and they took care of you, brought you clothing, brought you a blanket, whatever you needed. There was no, nobody was paying this. It wasn't coming out of taxes or anything like that. So uh, Paul starts this church. And by the way, I have a couple of uh, pictures for you here and a map and a laser pointer, pastor with a laser pointer. This is a dangerous moment. Uh, that right there, I'm on this side over here, that is the Ignatian Way. That's the superhighway. Doesn't look very super to us now, but this is actually in Philippi where this letter is written. I'm going to go over here now on my Vanna White mode. And this is the Ignatian Way that the Romans created. It was They built it for commerce and to move armies across the country. Okay, And it goes all the way from up here in Rome, which you can't see, all the way across through Greece here, all the way over to Istanbul, or Constantinople, as it will be called by 320. Philippi is right here. Strategically started by Paul and the church to be on the Ignatian Way so that the gospel will spread west to the Latin world over in Rome and east to the Greek-speaking world over to the, to the, the east, over in Greece. Okay? So very strategically placed is what they were thinking. And it worked. The church in Philippi was a vibrant center for the gospel. And that's why Paul is so excited about these guys. There are several reasons then why Paul writes these letters, and I'm going to name three of them. First and foremost, Paul is receiving great joy from the church in Philippi. Great joy. He thinks about them. He prays about those first Christians. And he even says so in verse 6, he says this, I am so confident, I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. Imagine Paul sitting in a dungeon, chained, by the way. All he has to think about all day long and pray about all day long are people like you and me, Christians. And he thinks this is entirely what he's there for, is praying and thinking about them. What a vision he has. What a hope Paul has. What a dream for a people. What a dream for the church. His dream, you're sitting in his dream right now in this church. Think about it. Nearly 2,000 years later, those prayers in that prison, you are a result of that. Over and over, when I hear about the hardships and the strife that goes on in other churches, just to say it, I don't see that go on around Lakeland. We don't have time for internal strife. We were never started out of a church split. 
We didn't start with a bunch of cranky people. We didn't think we were anything special or some kind of remnant. We didn't think that we had anything going on anybody else. All we had was this. We were, we were sold out that we'll do anything it takes for the next person to come through our door who doesn't know Jesus Christ. That's what we wanted to do. That's it. We worked as hard as we can, gave away as much as we could, and sacrificed an awful lot, and I think we're still doing it today. And I'm trying to tell you this today to re-fire us up. We have good stuff going on, but with this fall coming on and the culture that we're living in right now, we, got, we need to get fired up. It's good. Let's get reminded of what's most important. Let's get this vision going. Now, like Paul, I am asking you to keep on keeping on. You know, because... There's something that goes on around here. People think that we're like, and I mean younger people sometimes, think like we're the old fuddy-duddy church. Like we're done and, you know, like, you know, lick your finger, turn the page, like Lakeland's over with. And like, are you kidding? We still have awesome stuff going on. We're just turning chapter by chapter. A while back, you know, I could tell we weren't too far off, uh, you know, into those dry, dusty pews and, you know, where nobody goes and sits in the parking lot and there's no cars or anything like that. Because somebody accused me of uh, being too hipster and uh, because I was quoting hipster theologians, which if there were ever an oxymoron, it would be hipster theologians. But because I quote Walter Brueggemann or N.T. Wright or Stanley Hauervoss or whatever, you know, these other weird names that nobody knows about, you know, people are like, oh, yeah, that's a hipster church. I'm like, we're a hipster church? Like, I just, I don't know if we're a hipster church or not. These guys, I was reading them before they were hipster. They're all ancient guys anyway. I don't know why they're so hipster. But nonetheless, we still got cool theologians around here, and I'm standing to it, you know, sticking with it and standing by it. I'm just saying that right now. All of this to say, all of this to say, we still have game. And I'm telling it to you this fall to get us fired up again. We have stuff going on. Do you realize, and I know we say this all the time, but it's still a miracle. And I'll just put it this way. Do you realize that for all the other churches in this country of our size and in our geographic situation, this church gives nearly double than any other church in the country. Us, this little podunk place, is doing that. That's phenomenal. People scratch their heads and say, we don't even understand how it happens. They stop trying to figure it out. It just happens. It just goes on. And that brings up Paul's next reason for writing to the Philippians. He just wanted to say thank you to the Philippians. I want to say thank you to you, thank you, to you guys. They supported him financially. And if you're really astute when you read that first chapter in Philippians there, if you look back over it again, as a matter of fact, if you read most of his letters, and 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Ephesians, Galatians, all the rest of these, you will find politely written in between the text, and sometimes it's right out there, a financial support letter. It's in there. And if you look back over it, you'll see it in there right now. He's saying, thanks for supporting me. Now, Paul needed support because he did need the food and so forth while because he's in prison, right? But that church, Philippi, funded the mission as they ran all over the Roman Empire getting in trouble. And spreading the gospel. You had to rely on friends. Paul also worked his own way, you know, by, they say he was a tent maker, which could also mean like a leather worker or whatever. But he made tents and self-supported himself. And Paul came from a very wealthy family. He didn't have to do that. Brilliant scholar, by the way. Roman citizen. And yet he chose to make tents and receive support from people like the church in Philippi. 
The church, the Philippians, were providing the necessary funds for the gospel to go out, just like we do today around here. Back in verse 5, we find this very popular word, uh, koinonia, koinonia in the original Greek. That's how it's said in the original Greek, koinonia, which most Christians these days translate as the word fellowship. And that's okay. It's a good translation. Uh, notice in the 1984 New Revised Standard that we were using here earlier, that they, they, the New Revised Standard translated it as um, sharing, okay, that we share in the gospel. Other translations, like the New Living Translation, NIV, say partners or partnership. And the truth of the matter is, not that I'm, uh, you know, some sort of Greek scholar, but reading what goes on in this sort of thing, what you really have is not quite the nuance, because the nuance conveniently ignored is the financial fellowship. The costly fellowship is what's really going on. Koinonia is a business term, not a friend's term. And it's used in business at the time. And partner works if you think of it as like a business partner. And fellowship only works if you think of it like the fellowship of the ring. <laughs> the fellowship of the ring. In other words, we're all going on a very dangerous mission together, and we may not return. And it's going to cost you everything, Frodo. That's what we're talking about by a fellowship. But it is really a term that binds people together financially. That's how koinonia was actually used in a financial relationship. So it's appropriate then that Paul would use this term in talking about his relationship with the church at Philippi because they are bound together financially and on a mission. They are the fellowship. And this is a far cry from saying like, hey, yeah, we got a fellowship hall, you know, and there we eat fried chicken and mashed potatoes and that carrot raisin orange jello stuff, and we call that fellowship. Like, no, fellowship in church means you're all bound together financially that you're doing things on mission. You're giving money towards stuff and getting stuff done. That's how it's really supposed to be used. All of this, of course, was costing them uh, greatly, not only just financially, but by their very lives. By this time, we get the idea that, that Christians in Philippi are now beginning to get thrown in jail as well for preaching the gospel. And you're asking, well, why, why is the Roman Empire so against these Christians? It's primarily, one of the primary reasons is because they were viewed by the Romans and by the Greeks who came before them as atheists because they only believe in one God and Jesus is the king. And the Romans believed in polytheism. They had multiple gods, you know, the Zeus and all the rest of that sort of thing going on. And so it was very disturbing to their culture. See, we don't understand this in America because we live in, a, in, a, in Christendom. <laughs> Christianity is all around us. It's not a weird thing. But at that time, it was a brand new thing. And Jews, the Hebrews, they were certainly strange people to the Romans. I mean, everything from beards to the whole deal. And so it seemed very foreign to them. And so it was naturally easy for them to throw them in jail as being outsiders, as being weird. Very easy for them to do. Now, the Philippians are being persecuted and thrown in jail just like Paul. And so here's Paul's third reason for writing to the Philippians. He had, he had joy and he had thanksgiving and gratitude. And the third one is perspective. Remember to have the right perspective, church in Philippi. Remember to have the right perspective. And I think this is the most penetrating one for us these days. We just go to verse 20 right there in chapter 1. Here's the right perspective, Paul says. It's my eager expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in any way, but that by, making, that by my speaking with all boldness, Christ will be exalted. 
now is always in my body, whether by life or death. For to me, living in Christ, living is Christ, and dying is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. I don't know which I prefer. I'm hard-pressed in, in between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that's far better, but to remain in the flesh is far ne- more necessary for you. Do you understand what he's saying? He's saying, should I just die? Should I just be martyred? Should I just be run through? Thrown to wild beasts? Because to tell you the truth, sitting here rotten in prison, that sounds okay. I could do that. Or if I get out of here, I can help you, the church, and we can go on spreading the gospel together in our koinonia. I'm hard-pressed in both directions, Paul says. See, the proper perspective is that you're already dead, that you have died in Christ and you have risen again, Christian. That this life matters very little. Not because we're escapists. Not because Paul has some sort of, like some scholars or psychologists like to say about, well, Paul had sort of a death wish and he was really chronically probably depressed and he probably had some psychological condition that you could get out of the, you know, the diagnostical statistical manual. We have a number for him or something like that. And, you know, and he really just wants to end it all. And he's weird. And it's like, I don't know why, how they get that out of this letter. It sounds like he's ready to just like crawl out of prison writing the letter. He's so excited. You know, I mean, the, the letter doesn't come across as like he's chronically depressed or anything. It doesn't say like, you know, he's not writing the letter like, hey, Sitchin, how you doing? I'm kind of miserable. It's not too good here in jail. I'm not really happy. I mean, it was good at one time, but I don't have any food, and it's kind of cold. So I'm just kind of writing to say, you know, I'm kind of down. So goodbye. Does it sound like that? No. He's like, I don't care if I die. I'm so excited for you people. Whatever, it all goes on for the gospel. He says, my mighty being here, the entire imperial guard and everybody around here now knows about Jesus. It's great being thrown in jail. (laughs) That's a good perspective. That's a crazy perspective, but it's a good perspective. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. What, everyone, in our $3 worth of gospel, what are we living for today? For Christ I trust. I think so many of us around here are doing, you know, just that, that we're living for Christ. We've bent our finances, we've bent our households, we've bent our lifestyles, our hobbies, our time, our treasure, our talent, all towards this cause. All towards this cause. And so I give you this perspective from Paul, and I'm crashing it in necessarily into this election year. Think about the culture all around us. What is it? It's a culture of anger and fear, and it's going to be okay. I'm going to be in charge, and it's all going to be okay. You don't have to be scared. And here comes Paul, like, scared? Scared? Who's scared? I don't have anything to be scared about. He's not worried about anything. The proper Christian perspective is to go on the offensive, to storm the gates of hell, not try and cower in some corner in the castle and worry about who's banging on your door. The proper proper perspective, everyone, 
is, is to not be absorbed and consumed with the fact that your neighbor's kid's tricycle has been in your front yard for three days and you're just all upset about it. Or about their $3 baseball or frisbee that's lying in your backyard and why don't they come get it instead of their million dollar soul that's apt to go to hell unless you befriend them. Who's got the right perspective these days? Are you more upset about your neighbor's trash can blowing down your driveway or, or about their eternal destiny? Who loves like Paul? Who's fired up about other people like Paul? Go on the offensive. Storm the gates of hell. All it takes, all it takes is to be just a bit more human than everyone else. <laughs> all it takes is to love your neighbor as yourself, to go out of your way. That's all it takes. Just do a slight investment in other people. Just be a skosh happier than anybody else. You don't even have to conjure it up. It's because of Jesus in your heart that it comes. It's very, very simple. All you have to do is smile at somebody at the grocery store, and they will think you're Mother Teresa. It's so simple. It's so simple to just show a, a tiny bit of kindness and compassion towards somebody else. Invest in other people. And sometimes it's just being kind. They'll think you're Jesus. Care for other people. No fakery. Not put on. Not some like, you know, if you were to die tonight, where would you spend eternity? You're not trying to get another notch in your Bible. It's just simply being kind. That's Jesus. Go out of your way for others. Give away the three bucks at the exit ramp to the dude standing there holding the piece of cardboard. What does it hurt? Oh, oh, they're going to go off and spend it on drugs. And they're probably, you know, and they have centers for these kind of people. And they're not really doing it. Who cares? It's about you, not about them. Give away the three bucks. You need to give away the three bucks. Who cares what they do with it? That's between them and God. Help. You guys can disagree with me on that like you do every time. I don't care. I'm going to keep saying it. I'm not convinced. After you invest in other people, engage them in something spiritual. Engage them in something spiritual. Engage them in some sort of conversation that sounds like you're a holy person. Something about like, don't you love to see the sun come up each day? Or don't you love to see the storms roll in? I think it's one of the best times. I see all eternity in the sunset. I love your child. As I've gotten older, I've learned something. I love, I, I'm not a big baby person. Don't ask me to change your kid's diaper. It ain't going to happen. But I love to look at them. I love the fact that they are happy. Even when they're crying, I'm kind of like, that's a good kid. I know you're thinking like, when will they be 12 so I can stop this? I'm like, stop it. Live for the moment. You know how it is. It's when you actually kind of creep in and they're still sleeping. You're like, ah. Praise God. That's a holy moment. Engage people about their children. Tell them when, when you go to work tomorrow or wherever you go, and they're like, what would you do this weekend? Like, well, we went to church. Heard some crazy guy ranting and raving about Paul or whatever you guys say. Do all that sort of thing. Engage them in soulish, compassionate conversation. Let them know that you're a holy person, not as some like, hey, look at me, but simply in a quiet sort of way that says, I don't care if I die or if I live, it's all for Jesus. 
And lastly, invite them to some sacred space and time. Invite them to church. Hey, there's a novel idea. Invite them to this place. You, you got people up here that work extremely hard to put on the best thing that so you won't be embarrassed or wince or something like that uh, because of what goes on around here. Bring them and see if God doesn't do something. See, one of our favorite things to do around here is to get you guys inviting people, and then you have to go stand out there at the front door and wait for them to come, you know, because they're not going to ride with you. What crazy person would ride with somebody to a church they've never been to? Like, how would you ever escape and get out there and like, oh, my gosh, look at the time. It's one minute in the service. i got to go. You know, so they got to be able to escape. So they drive themselves. They meet them here. You gave them the address and all that sort of thing. And then you're standing there waiting for them, and it's five after. And then in the great compassion of Lakeland, other Lakelanders walk by and say, like, so, they didn't show, huh? You got stiffed. Huh. Sucks to be you. And then they'll watch you do the same thing, and, you know, we all have a nice conflict with each other around here and that sort of thing. I'm saying it's a badge of honor to be standing at the front door waiting for somebody. Those are the people who are on mission around here. Those are the people who are investing in other people, engaging them in spiritual conversation, and inviting them. We aren't trying to build an empire around here, everyone. We're just trying to change lives. It's very simple. <coughs> That's all we want to do. We just want to be like Paul. We want to take his words honestly, literally, and sincerely and be like Paul. I've been in an email conversation with Pastor Jack in China, in the middle of China. You know, they do the house church there. They train up new leaders over there, and it's very illegal, of course. And finally, the national security people came to him here last month, and they dragged the local cops with them. And they said, what are you doing here? And he says, we're just talking about Jesus. And they said, well, you can't do that anymore. Okay, so they had several conversations. He's been interrogated many, many times here over the last few weeks. And finally, they got the landlord in on it, and they said, you can't hold this training center here anymore in this apartment that you just started renting a month ago. And so the landlord said, I'm kicking you out. So, you know, in good koinonia of fashion, in these emails to Jack, I'm like, Jack, are you saying you need money? <laughs> Do you need to go rent a new place? Because we can scrounge together some money if you need to go rent a new place. We're Lakeland. We're, we're cool with that. You know, no, no, we don't need anything. Everything's fine. God will take care of us. Like, what great perspective. You know, I'm like, are you sure? Are you okay? Have you been in jail? Nope, nope, everything's fine. Everything's fine. It's fine. So I get an email. Praise the Lord. We have a new apartment. We just bought it. You bought an apartment, you know, which is like buying a condo. You bought an apartment. Jack, where did you get the money to buy the apartment? Well, somebody took their entire life savings and gave it to us, and then we cashed out another relative's entire pension, everything they had. And we bought an apartment, so now nobody can kick us out of the apartment. At least the landlord can. I'm like, really? So people just cashed out everything they had. He says, yeah, and then when the students pay their fees, you know, their tuition basically for the year, we'll just, that'll be the rent that we'll pay back to the relative from the person. Okay, Jack, do you need any money? Because it's 44000 U.S. dollars to buy an apartment in China. Nope, we are just fine. God takes care of us. Okay, then. Till next time. That's the right perspective to have. That's what it takes. And you and I support Jack and all of those people over in China. And we 
we must keep on keeping on with our koinonia, with our fellowship going, and get the job done. We need China more than they need us. We need their heart. We need their passion. We need a passion like Paul's folks. We need it badly, and we need it right now because we're living in a culture of fear where everybody says that this country and everything in it is going to hell in a handbasket, and it is not. We live in the safest times of human history. You can run the numbers on it. We live in a culture of fear and trepidation, of greed and want. We live in a, in, a, in a culture of judgmentalism and racism, and we need to wake up. We need to stand up. We need to take up our cross, and we need to love. We need to love our neighbor to death. We need to love our neighbor to life. We need to love our neighbor through their death and into life, into the resurrection. We need, we need a picnic, not a protest. We need a song, not a shout. We need a family, not colors. And we need this passion of Paul instead of the comforts of condemnation. We need Philippians. This is who we're supposed to be. This is our call. We need to wake up. We need to stand up and we need to get on with a mission. And that's what we need to do this fall. And I'm reminded over and over and over of Paul's little hymn from very early on in the church. I think about it weekly. Anybody that'll hear it. Wake up, O sleeper, Paul says. Rise from among the dead and Christ will shine on you. That's what we need to be doing. Chris? Go in peace. Storm the gates of hell. Be the love to your neighbor. Get the job done, everyone. You're dismissed.